You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. In our new series, The Stories That Shaped Jesus, A Summer Through the Old Testament. And you guys, I already love this series so much. And I have a confession to make, you guys. When I, true confession, true confessions, that's a podcast, right? Maybe, I don't know, hashtag true confessions. Um, <laughs> when I was a high school student, when I was your age, I avoided the Old Testament. Like, I was scared of it. If it was not a psalm or a proverb or Genesis 1, I was like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Like, the Old Testament just honestly kind of seemed a little scary and a little confusing. But what we're praying that all of you students see throughout this summer study is that the Old Testament is not an outdated, irrelevant part of our Bible. But for Christians, it is actually absolutely essential because it was essential for Jesus. And when Jesus refers to scripture in the Gospels, he's talking about the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament yet. And so that's what we're doing this summer. We're looking at the words of Jesus, looking at the times that he referenced an Old Testament story, and then we're flipping back to the OT, going OT, you know, Um, but Old Testament, not over time. And um, we are looking at that story to help us understand what Jesus is saying. So last week we talked about Noah, and tonight we're talking about Abraham. So to get there, flip with me to John chapter 8. John is in your New Testament, so it's over halfway through your Bible. And at the very beginning, it's the Gospels, and it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we are going to John chapter 8, starting in verse 53. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 53, we find Jesus in the middle of a dispute. And he's in this argument with these people called the Pharisees who were the religious Jewish leaders during Jesus' time. And, And what the Pharisees are doing is something that everyone in the Gospels do, and it's something that even for us today as we're reading the Gospels, this is a really important question that we're trying to answer, and it's this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that is what the Pharisees are asking. And this is what they say to Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? You guys, this is the Bible. Like, it's crazy. The Pharisees are literally like, come on, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? How could you, how could you um, be greater than our father Abraham? And this is what Jesus responds with in verse 54. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Yikes. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. 
He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answers, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Huge passage. Now what is Jesus talking about? The most important verse in this little passage that we read is that Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. And this is a hugely bold statement. But for us, and I would put myself in this category, with our modern eyes, we kind of read this passage and we look at it and we don't understand how crazy this is. But this was such a bold statement that actually the Pharisees in verse 59, they pick up stones to stone Jesus because they're like, you're blaspheming, Jesus. Like, there's no way you could have preexisted Abraham. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. And here's our Jesus connection to the Old Testament. Are you ready? Jesus clearly claimed to be God and to preexist Abraham. But to understand what a bold statement this is, we have to go back to the Old Testament. I heard a quote this week that talked about for Christians to only read the New Testament would be like for someone to pick up a novel and start reading halfway through. Maybe a more um, helpful or relatable analogy for us, it's, it's like starting to watch Parks and Rec or The Office, but like skipping the first couple seasons because they're not good, you know, which is totally a lie. Or... It's like your first Marvel movie that you ever watch is Endgame. And you're like, I kind of know what's going on, but I don't really know the, the details of all these characters. I can't fully appreciate this story. And so because of that, we are headed to the Old Testament. So turn with me to Genesis. And this is really easy to find because it's the first book of your Bible, Genesis chapter 12. And we're asking the question, who is Abraham? And Abraham first comes on the scene in Genesis 12. And as you're flipping there, in verse 1, this is what the word says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and he was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Lots in these four verses, and we we learn several things. First of all, about Abraham. He's not Abraham yet. (laughs) He's Abram. Very important to know. Abram. And we also learn that Abram is a really old guy. If you catch in verse 4, Abram was 75 years old. And he gets this insane commandment and promise from God. Imagine the best days of your faith happening after you're 75 years old. That is wild, right? Most of you aren't even like a third of the way to 75 years old. Like, Like this is wild, And God chooses Abram, and he gives them this commandment to go, to leave his country, to leave his community, and to leave his father's house, which at that time came with a huge financial stability 
because of the inheritance that Abram could get from his father. But God says, give that up, sacrifice that, and follow me so you can go to the country to which I have for you, so you can inherit a new land and a new family and a new inheritance. And so Abram, if he does this, then God says, I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation. And here are two really important things to make note about, about this promise that God makes to Abram. First of all, he says, I will make you into a great nation. How many of you have heard of the nation of Israel? Nice. Love that. If you haven't, no worries, because this is the very beginning. God is promising Abram to make him into a great nation, to make Abram into what eventually will be the nation of Israel, God's people. Now, think logically with me here. If God promises Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation, what's required? Like, what's necessary? The logical conclusion that Abram rightly comes to is that God is going to bless him with a son because it's kind of hard to be a great nation without an heir. And so Abram now gets this promise from God at 75 years old that he is going to have a son and will eventually become a great nation. And here's the other thing that I want to point out briefly about this promise. I'm just going to step on my soapbox, like, just a little bit. And I want to highlight that in verse 3, God says that he will bless Abram and that Abram will become a blessing to all peoples on earth. And this is where we get a pretty famous phrase. Maybe you've heard it before, blessed to be a blessing, and again, I'm standing on my soapbox for a second, and I just, I feel like the Spirit is asking me to share this with us. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this is part of the calling that God will place on your life. That when you put your faith in Jesus, you will experience immense blessing through the Holy Spirit, but those blessings are never meant to be hoarded. The gospel is never meant to stop with you. It is always meant to go out and bless others. And if you are a follower of Christ tonight, and the concept of blessed to be a blessing is not your life mission, you are missing out on part of your calling. Stepping back off my soapbox and stepping back to Abram, Abram goes. He obeys God. He did what, he told, what God told him, even though it didn't really make sense, even though it required a lot of sacrifice, Abram obeyed. And Abram knows something about waiting. He was 75 years old when God initiates this promise with him. And as we're going to find, God does not fulfill this promise right away. It actually takes years. And I hope that that is actually a great comfort to all of us because I think a lot of us today, we also know something about waiting. And so right now, I want you to take a minute, just you and the Lord, and in your sermon notes, just in the corner, I want you to answer this question. What is something that you're waiting for God to do in your life? What is something that you're waiting for the Lord to do in your life? Maybe you're waiting to hear good news from a doctor about someone sick in your life who you love. Maybe you're waiting on God to heal your broken family. 
Maybe you're waiting for God to give you purpose and direction for your life. Maybe you're waiting to hear back from that school or from that person. What is something that you're waiting for God to do? And as this concept of waiting becomes so personal for us, as we follow Abraham through this story, he's going to show us at least five principles to follow when we're waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And in fact, we've already seen the first one. The first principle to follow when we're waiting for God is to obey God's commandments. That's your first fill-in. Obey God's commandments. Abram, again, obeyed God's word first, even though the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. And for us, when we're waiting for God to do something in our life, we have to remain committed to what we know he has already asked us to do. And so today, if you are a follower of Jesus, what does Jesus ask us to do? Some of the things are to abide in him, to know his word, to pray, invest in community, share your faith, serve. The things that we talk about so much here in HSM because they're essential. While you're waiting on God, obey God's commandments in the things that you know he's already asking you to do. So at the end of Genesis chapter 12, Abram is expecting a son. So let's flip ahead, skip ahead just three chapters to Genesis chapter 15. And what do we think? Do we think Abram has a son yet? Yeah? Maybe? The answer is no. He does not have a son yet. <laughs> he does not have a son yet. Noah's chewing. That's so funny. Okay, Noah, or sorry, not you, Noah. Abram <laughs> does not have a son yet. And understandably, Abram is feeling a little impatient. He's like a little annoyed. He's like, God, what up with that? Like, you gave me this promise. Where's my son? And in Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abram, do not be afraid, verse 1. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can, so shall your offspring be. And verse six, Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abram is old. And he has this awesome promise from God, but he's childless. He's in the waiting. And Abram begins to assume that God is up to something different than he expected. And he's like, okay, maybe my heir will not be my own flesh and blood. It'll come up for my own household. And God says, no, your heir will be your flesh and blood. I will give this to you. And he takes them outside, and he takes them outside, and, and I'm so excited. In a couple weeks, we'll be up at summer camp, and I'm so excited to be up there with you all and look up at the night sky, look at the stars, and be reminded of what God said to Abram, that more than the stars that you can count, so will your offspring be. I will accomplish this to you. I will accomplish this for you. And I hope something that you're noticing throughout this story so far and really throughout the whole Old Testament is that God is the one who initiates with us, that God is the one who begins this promise, that God is the one who moves towards us even when we move away from him. 
But going back to verse 6, to Abram's credit, Abram believed that God would accomplish this. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness through faith. And that's our second principle of waiting for God, is believe God has a plan. And I know so many of us already know this because of our own experiences. But God's plan does not always align perfectly with ours. God's word says that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God knows what's best. We don't. But he is worthy of our trust. So believe that God has a plan, even if it is not what you would have originally chosen for yourself. So now, more years pass. And skip ahead two more chapters. Go to chapter 17. And Abram, I hope you're on the edge of your seat. Like, the Bible is so exciting. Like, what's going to happen? Is he going to have a son? Is he not? Chapter 17. Abram still has no son. And you guys, at this point, he is 99 years old. You guys, 99 years old. He's been waiting for a son, and he doesn't have one. And so in between these chapters, and you'll read these in your Bible reading plan, your little bookmark that you all got, Abram and his wife Sarai, they actually tried to take God's plans into their own hands. And, and Sarai encouraged Abram to um, practice a, a pretty common custom at the time, and that was if a household could not produce an heir, then the head of the household would sleep with a slave in order to produce an heir. And that's what Abram did with Hagar. But God said, that is not how I'm going to fulfill my promise. I will give you a son, and it's going, so sorry, and it's going to happen through Sarai. In Genesis chapter 17, I imagine that Abram is frustrated, right? He's been waiting for years. I imagine he's a little bit ashamed of what he's just done. And he falls face down before God. And this is what God says to him in Genesis 17, verse 4. As for me, God says, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And later in verse 15, God says, and as for your wife, Sarai, she will no longer be called that. She'll be called Sarah. And she will become the mother of many nations. And at this, verse 17, Abraham falls down. And he laughs and he says to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Abraham kind of laughs at God and he's like, um, do you see how old we are? Like, how, how is this going to work, God? And God is so gracious. He says, Abram, I'm giving you a new name. And this is where we meet Abraham. And Abram in the Hebrew came to be known as meaning exalted father. And God gives him a new name, Abraham, which likely means the father of many. And this is so cool because God literally changes his name. He changes his name in order to remind him of the promise that God is faithful to fulfill. And this is such an outward change, but I love that it also is so symbolic of the inward change that God wants to do in Abraham and in Sarah as they trust him in the waiting. And this is our third principle. Allow God to transform you. 
even in the waiting. Allow God to transform you. See, God is always most interested in your heart. Do you know that? He's always most interested in your sanctification. That's a big fancy word. We've talked about it before. Sanctification just means the process through the Holy Spirit that he transforms you to look more and more like Jesus as you let him. And God is committed to your transformation. And so when you're waiting for God to do something for you in your life, don't miss what God wants to do in you along the way. Friends, look at me. Just right here in this space, honest space with the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that God wants to use everything in your life to help you experience him deeper and to help you look more like him? What if you started to live your life like that by allowing God to transform you even when you're waiting on him to fulfill his promises? So again, Genesis chapter 17, God reminds Abraham and Sarah, I will do this. I will give you an heir. I will give you a son. I will make you into a great nation. The question is, will you believe me? Next chapter, chapter 18. What do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Son from Sarah? No son from Sarah. No son from Sarah. You guys got it. Two for two, two for two. Still no son from Sarah. Are you kidding me? You guys, this is crazy. Like the Bible is wild. They're still waiting. And in chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah, they get three visitors who come into their home. And one of the visitors says, Sarah, in one year, I'm going to come back and you will have a son. And Sarah, in the Claire translation, goes, are you kidding? Like, what? I am past the age of childbearing. And in verse 12, Genesis 18, verse 12, Sarah laughs to herself as she thinks, after I am worn out and my Lord, talking about Abraham, is old, will I now have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. This time, God reminds Abraham and Sarah specifically about his character, about his faithfulness. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. He's the most powerful. He is the most high. And that was a word for Sarah in her circumstances, but I believe that's a word for so many of us tonight. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Praise God. Amen. The problem when we're waiting on God to do something in our life, is again, it's usually he's not on our timetable. His ways are higher than ours. And we get frustrated. Sometimes we begin to doubt. But the problem is never God's unfaithfulness, but it's our perspective. Because God is not unfaithful. He is the most faithful. It's our perspective that's off. And I am so encouraged that Sarah's story is in the Bible because how often, like her, do I focus on my circumstances and not on how powerful my God is, how faithful he is. And that's our fourth principle for tonight, focus on God's character. Waiting on God can feel really long for us, but God is not slow. He is patient with us. 
And so right now, I want you to take out your Bible reading plan. It's this little bookmark that was on all of your seats. And if you turn to the back, I wrote out some, just some of God's promises that he gives to everyone who puts their faith in him. And as you're reading through these promises, I hope that you notice that so many of them are in regards to his character. They're about his faithfulness, his goodness, his peace, and his patience. And I want you to look at these and take another minute, just you and the Lord, think about that thing that you're waiting on. And I want you to look at these promises and ask, which of these is most comforting to you? Which of these is most encouraging that God will keep this promise? But which of these is hardest for you to believe? And how would focusing on God's character help you to trust him? We're finally getting towards the end of Abraham and Sarah's journey of waiting on a son. And in in verse, sorry, in chapter 21, we find that God finally answers Sarah and Abraham's prayers. Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 1, the Lord was gracious to Sarah and he, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave, this, gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah is finally pregnant. They finally get a son and they name him Isaac. And Isaac in the Hebrew means he laughs. And kind of a subtle theme throughout this journey, throughout the scriptures that we've read is laughter. But it's kind of like a laughter of ridicule. You know, it's like a kind of a laughter of of unbelief because Sarah and Abraham, they laugh when God says that he'll do what he promised them when they look at their circumstances. And they kind of like, God, like how could you do this? But now this laughter is so redemptive because it's not a laughter of ridicule. It's a laughter of joy, of rejoicing in God answering and fulfilling his promise. And that's our fifth and final principle for us tonight. Rejoice with others over God's presence. Even in the waiting, praise God, because his presence alone is worthy of us rejoicing in. Rejoice with others over God's presence. And as we've looked through the journey of Abraham and his long wait, the big idea for all of us tonight is that Abraham believed God's promises even though he couldn't see the fulfillment of them. He believed. Abraham waited years for one son. If we have any math people out there, you notice that Abram was 75 years old when he got this promise from God. And when Isaac was born, he was 100 years old. Abraham waited 25 years for one son, even though God promised that his offspring would outnumber the stars in the sky, and Abraham chose to believe. Now, as we start to close, I want us to notice a few things. Abraham, he lived to see the birth of his son. 
the birth of Isaac. But he did not live to see the many generations that came after Isaac in order to make him a great nation. But Abraham trusted God. And that's why Jesus, where we started in John 8, he talks about how Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Abraham didn't know how God would fulfill his promise, but he trusted him, and it took time. And tonight, we decided to call Abraham's story a story of crockpot faith. And hopefully, some of you might know what a crockpot looks like and what it is. It's a way that you can cook things, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a pot, and you plug it in, and the name of the crockpot game is low and slow. So you put something in there for literally hours. Like you could put it in there before you go to sleep and wake up the next morning, it's ready. You could leave the house all day, come back, and it's ready. But it takes hours. And sometimes you go and check on the crock pot, you're like, I don't think anything's happening in here. Like, but I guess this will turn out great. But after all that waiting, when all the flavors, you know, marinate, they all get together, the results are so much richer and so much more delicious. Now, all of us might not be that familiar with crockpots, but I do think we are all familiar with microwaves. And microwaves are awesome, right? Like Hot Pockets, anyone? Like, <laughs> so good. And you have a microwave, you stick your frozen meal in that microwave, in two to three minutes, like, she's ready, you know? It's, it's amazing. But a microwave cooks things really fast, but the results are not always the best. Sometimes you heat something and it's heated unevenly. Sometimes for some reason it like tastes burnt and I'm like, it was in there for like 45 seconds. I don't understand. Our faith is so much more like a crock pot than it is like a microwave. And that is so hard for us to wrap our brains around in our microwave culture that wants things done quick and fast and right now. And I literally, I put myself a part of that because on Monday, the internet did not load in half a second and I was so irritated. Haley can, <laughs> Haley can um, testify for me. I was so irritated. This is such a hard concept for us to grasp. But if you are looking for a quick and easy fix to your fears or your problems or your anger, Christianity is not for you. But if you're willing, like Abraham, to sit in the crock pot, to build your life on the promises and character of God, even when you can't see the fulfillment of them yet, the results, your reward is going to be so much deeper, so much richer, and so much more meaningful in the end. You will be blessed beyond measure. And this is how crockpot Abraham's faith was. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, God said to him, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to every people on the earth. And the whole world was blessed through Jesus Christ, who came to earth in human flesh as a descendant of Abraham. And through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he paid the price for our sins and he offers us new life and a right relationship with God if we choose to believe in him. That's how the whole world got blessed. And that's why trusting in Jesus in the waiting is always worth it. He always has what's best for us. Now thinking back to where we started in John 8, Abraham was seen, as we saw, as the father of all Jewish faith. 
the father of their faith, the beginning of God's covenant with Abraham. And so for Jesus, a human, to say that he existed before Abraham, that was appalling. That was crazy. But Jesus doesn't just reference Abraham in John 8. He actually makes a note to another Old Testament story by claiming that he is the great I am. But in order to hear more of that story, I got specific instructions to tell you guys to tune in next week for week three of our Stories That Shape Jesus series so you can learn what that is all about. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. And Jesus, thank you for every single person in this room. Thank you for your word and thank you that you are trustworthy even when we're waiting on you to fulfill your promises. And God, I loved how we started tonight in worship asking you to give me faith to trust what you say. God, would that be the heartbeat of our lives and would we go into our life groups being willing to be bold and vulnerable so that we might encourage one another to pursue you deeper. We love you and it's in your name.